You're listening to the Plus Music Podcast with Brian and Nick, where we sit down with artists, founders, video game music composers, and discuss early ideas, challenging hurdles, and how the ever-changing music industry will evolve in the digital age. Today we're sitting down with Nick Grunwald, singer and guitar player and member of New York indie rockers Meru. Nick sits down and talks to us about how he's played a recent series of sold-out shows throughout Manhattan, including landmark venues like Mercury Lounge, Pianos, Bitter End, and more. He's also here to tell us about his new release, I'd ask, but I know you're all right. Here's more from Nick now. Hell yeah, nice. Love the intro. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Really, really stoked to, uh, stoked to be here. Of course. Absolutely. So uh, you, are, you, are you guys from New York? originally or did you guys all end up there from other places we're, we're transplants like most i think new york city musicians um so i'm from dc uh the bass player tommy's from dc um steven the lead guitarist is from atlanta and then we've got a, a jersey guy and a north carolina guy so everyone kind of found their way to new york all for music but yeah all kind of all kind of ended up here yeah that's nice. an interesting town to move for music because new york's like notoriously kind of expensive to live in you know yeah yeah it's uh it's a little bit backwards like when we were when we were deciding like where we should really like launch the band like after we finished school we were deciding between nashville austin la and new york and you know we picked new york just based off of the connections that we had at the time and uh now that you say it like that it's true it is like the hardest city to like keep up in which is kind of hilarious but yeah. It makes well, if it doesn't it work ways. out there, you should just think about maybe the Bay Area, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe the second option. Much more reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, cool. So, and you guys, are you guys in, are Brooklyn based or do you? Because Yeah, so we, we moved to Brooklyn originally. So we were in Brooklyn for a year, then we went to Manhattan for a year, then back to Brooklyn for two years. And now we're all back in Manhattan again. So I feel like, um, you know, people usually stick to one side. We've been hopping back and forth kind of the whole time now. Yeah. And you guys have a, you have a single coming out. So you guys are, you've been playing shows. You probably weren't playing shows during the, during covid because no not really super locked yeah Yeah, what was that like in the city like as musicians in the city do you guys all live in the same flat or were you able to like collaborate at least or was it just full lockdown so we all lived we all lived in the same apartment during covid um and when it happened we all moved so i think when it happened everyone was like everyone's families were like come back home so everyone went back to atlanta went to dc just like you know most people did for a little bit and after about two and a half weeks, like, I got to get out of here. I got to get back to New York. Um, so we all went back to the apartment, or, or Steven and I did at least. Steve's the, the lead guitarist. And we stayed there the entire time. And that's where we actually wrote the majority of, like, the album coming out, which is great. But it was, it was bizarre, right? Like, New York was a total ghost town. We had a car with us, and we drove through Manhattan multiple times and did not see a single person which is crazy like there uh, it's almost like i am legend like the movie like you'll never see that again in your life yeah. where you do not see another soul well, hopefully we don't see that again um yeah. you have you guys missed a big opportunity to do like a, a street shot for a video in yeah i know right because like that never happened again yeah 
there's some cool New York photographers though that have done some <laughs> some pretty pretty cool shots of just like completely empty Manhattan, which is pretty sick. God, what a great idea! And yeah. I just now I'm bummed for you. I'm bummed for myself yeah, that no yeah. one thought about a thought about that opportunity. That's pretty cool. So um, I got a question for you. Um, you know, it's cool. You're indie bands starting out. The, the one thing about New York and Brooklyn is no shortages of places to play. Um, I remember a place we used to play in the Brooklyn, the Warsaw. I'm not sure if it's still there. Yeah, All the way to the Mercury the Lounges. It's yeah. a great venue, great yeah. pierogies. But um, yeah. so cool. So you guys are writing this new record, but your last record I wanted to ask you about, Good to See Ya. How'd you get hooked up with like the ASAP Rocky and the Reverend Al Green guy? <laughs> yeah, so... So I'm originally from North Carolina and there's, I guess the, the fifth member of our band, you know, he's, 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 uh, it goes by Cal Merrill. Um, he's really the producer of our band. So he's, he produced that whole album and hmm. he plays with us live. So he's kind of like a live member and a producer and, uh, check out his stuff, by the way, it's amazing. Um, but he introduced us to Dan Millis, um, about seven or eight years ago. And I remember when I was in college, like meeting with Dan to try and like learn how to get like an internship in the music industry or like what I needed to do to survive in New York City to try and do music and all that. And he was giving me lots of advice. And then um, because he's he's the homie, he's like our best friend now. He's been able to, to master our music for us. And it's been um, the thing that really gives it like that final punch. You know, obviously you, got, you guys both know what mastering is, but to work with Dan and have him take it from one level to just like a completely completely different level is, is amazing and it's cool because he works with it's weird because he works with a lot of rappers and he's like huge in the hip-hop scene yeah. um but it's like really taking our music and giving it a, a nice like full sound which is is, is really cool what, what's That's super cool what's um what's working for you guys like as a band so let's just maybe zoom back out and um and think about how you guys are thinking about what you do because a lot of a lot of what we do on this podcast is just kind of like talk about what it's like to be it's what's a day in the life of a musician today yeah. uh, at the end of 2021. Um, you know, a lot of people had to go into uh, I know some folks that just like started live streaming out of their rehearsal room and they're making rent for the rehearsal rooms now yeah. just streaming, you know. It doesn't even matter. Like they're not popular music. Like it doesn't even matter. They're just doing something that they found totally. an audience and it was, they found it online. Uh, you know, some people are leaning into TikTok or, you know, you might lean into Triller if it works for your, for your audience, whatever. Yep. There's all kinds of, I'm sure there's new ones that I don't know about yet. Yep. What are you guys thinking about from, from like a digital presence kind of point of view and how you, how you think about that? It's, um, it's such a loaded question because there's so many different avenues, right. That you can go down right now. I mean, we have a lot of friends in the city who are artists or who manage other artists. I've got my one friend right now. Who's like screaming at me every day. is like, why aren't you doing TikTok? Why aren't you like trying to DM influencers on TikTok and trying to get them to play your music and, and whatever it is. And for us, we've spent the last two years now writing and recording um, writing and recording our, our sophomore album and we've done it on like a much much bigger scale with a, another producer as well who's, who's teamed with our old one which has made it um, just a much bigger project for us and so we've put so much time and focus into that that 
now that we're getting to like the release of it, you know, we've got as of today, two singles out from that album. We're asking that question, like, what are we going to do to try and like promote it? And, you know, we're working with PR companies, we're working with digital marketing agencies. So like one company we're working with right now is like Blossom Agency. So they're helping to just promote it through like Instagram ads. And I think one thing that we found is that like, we don't, we don't really do well on TikTok. We don't do like trying to pretend that we're, you know, like meme guys or whatever it is. I see a lot of bands like doing that kind of stuff and like that, that's great. I'll never knock anyone for like trying to like do what everyone else is doing. But I think that for us, it's really just trying to get like our music and our music videos, which we've been creating. So we've made like six different music videos for the entire album, which we're putting a lot of like Instagram ads behind, um, which sounds like a simple answer, but it works really well. If you, you put mm-hmm. just like a little bit of money into an Instagram ad, it really reaches like a much broader audience and actually, um, you know, gets you a lot in return. So you're saying return. Thing, you can also make like TikTok though, what you want it. You know, only reason I say that right. is because that was six music videos. I break that down into a minute each yeah. of each of those videos. You've got yourself 18 different TikTok videos. I'm just saying there's such a audience. So the format, and the so much format sizing doesn't quite work for videos though, right? Yeah. Um, no, and, and don't get me wrong. You know, I, I created a TikTok for our band last week. <laughs> you know, it, it's important to have everything. Um, mm-hmm. But so much of our energy has gone into just like the writing side and the recording side that when we get to the marketing mm-hmm. of it, there's so many different opinions and, and so much potential money that could be spent, you know, and and some people tell you, you know, that's just money down the drain or, or whatever it is. And so there's a lot of different ways to to do it, but I think it's important to to make sure you're well-rounded with it. You know, don't put all of your mm-hmm. money in PR. Don't put all of your money into a music agency, whatever it is, like make sure that you're, you're doing everything. Um, well, let me ask sure you a question live. in a different way than Nick. So it sound, it's a good answer. Hey, the answer of we use, we, we make videos and we promote those videos around our yeah. music is a, is a fine answer, right? Great answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how are you capturing audience so that you don't have to keep buying ads for those people that you did buy ad for and got yeah. that like yeah because no, that's that's like the end of the day the that's real the biggest question the real value of any of any any business or band or whatever is to be able to capture the audience so that you own it and it's tends to be email still however old school that sounds still capturing emails because if yep. you do this on instagram you don't own those people right um yep. You do it on any of the platforms. You have to maintain that platform to maintain them. And those people could leave. They can go from Instagram to trailer to TikTok to the next one to, yep. to metaverse things, whatever. Um, and it'll all, you know, you have to follow them and follow the platform. But how are you guys thinking about capturing those audiences as you as you get them? Yeah. So, so that's a great question. And I was actually listening to your guys' podcast, I think a few weeks ago, and or maybe maybe it was your one with Sarek from Mars Motel, who we're friends with as well. I, I forget who it was, but you had a great line. And basically, you said that, you know, like a real band can make it off of like a thousand super fans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is like oh, a lot of people have said that before, but that's kind of the goal is to not have have passive fans. You want like diehard fans that feel like, feel like they're a part of your family and they're a part of your fan base. And mm-hmm. for a long time, that's, that's been our goal as opposed to 
what we've seen a lot of, which is if you're clicking through Discover Weekly and you're just like going through like an indie rock kids Discover Weekly, you might hear a bunch of music that's just the same guitar tones and the same stuff. And it's like, it's there to catch, but it's, and it might be like a nice groove, but it's not necessarily always like the deepest song you've ever heard. So we're really, really lucky that for us, the song that caught on for us is actually our, our slowest song. And it's, our, it's a, I think it's almost seven minutes. So nice. Freebird. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's called she, and that one hit discover weekly. And when it hit discover weekly, it, it really stuck. And like now, I think a year and a half or two years later, since when it first hit, it's like still continues to bring us back to have, you know, solid monthly listeners and, and whatever it is, but we're finding that the people that like that song and the people that DM us on Instagram through that song are, are really, really passionate about it as opposed to someone that just likes one post and, and doesn't go away or, or, or falls off and doesn't keep liking posts. And I think that, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so as they reach out though, like what's your method of capturing them? Yeah. So we work with, um, so one of our buddies, um, Sham, who's kind of like our, our pseudo manager has a lot of ideas, you know, towards that. And a few of the things that we've been doing recently is we're actually getting ready to record a, um, record a live session onto vinyl. So there's this awesome company in Brooklyn that is basically you go, they reach out to artists and you go into a studio and you record one song onto a, a vinyl, what's it called like a six inch, right? Is that like one, one song? Seven or inch. Nine, seven mm-hmm. inch, seven inch. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so what we're doing is like anyone who's DM'd us in the past about she or anyone who's like been a dedicated listener, we're just like sending them that vinyl for free. So trying to actually like send them either merch or send them something like that vinyl, something that feels really special to make them feel mm-hmm. engaged and make them feel like, you know, I know Meru, I found Meru because we're not a super big band, right? Like, you know, we, we've just started. And I think that anyone that knows she or knows our songs and, and then, you know, loves that one song or whatever it is, feels like they're a part of something small. So I think like what, whatever we can do to reciprocate that, and, you know, get them that vinyl or get them just a free piece of merch or anything like that. It means a lot for them to like receive that in the mail and to feel like they're, you know, a part of like the Meru family as opposed to just cool. I liked your DM and didn't even respond or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of things out there though. You guys could think about like, like uh, friends of ours there, it's a company called Lalo. They do drops. So you guys have songs coming out. So just like, you know, you kind of load people in before this day, all the, the single or the yeah, album yeah. comes out right and you're able to grab those people so that you can you get their email so you can hit them up on you know as you keep growing yeah right? absolutely yeah gathering um, gathering emails like gathering gold these days especially for musicians yeah, yeah so you know i know it's it's hard in a band right you're, you're trying to trying to get everybody on the same page to do a sound or songs that everybody agrees with right get it to get into the recording studio, get it there, decide on art. There's like so many group decisions. And then you have to have like a, a voice on social media. And usually that's not the whole band doing it. Right. Yeah. And so somebody's (laughs) got to be relied on to do that. And like, you know, the day in the life of an artist or a band kind of blows, there's a lot of work to do, you know, and usually you're Mm -hmm. not getting paid to do it. So you're doing that on the side. How are you guys managing that? like you know extra workload i'm sure you guys have day jobs and stuff while you guys do this 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. There is a lot of, you know, division of work between different people. And we've, so I'll start with the social media. It's funny you say that because there's a lot of bands out there that, that you know, they're a band, but really it's being led by one guy. Like one guy does all the writing, does most of the recording, and then like the other guys are the live musicians. But because of that, that guy can run the social media presence and it feels like super authentic because it's everything that that guy likes and it's all the inside jokes that that guy has or whatever. Yeah. Um, so with us, it can, it can be kind of funny because I'll be like, oh, we should post this. It's just hilarious. Or we should post this. This looks great. And then Steven's always like, no, like, I don't know. I, I don't like it that way. I prefer it a different way. But if you do that too much and you weave it and you weave it to, you know, two people or three people chiming in and like what a, what a post should be or what you guys are putting out there. It's so stale and it just feels like you just have everybody put their name at the end of it. Yeah, so that exactly. They, that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. they can yeah. cancel that guy. Yeah. I so, mean, it's become a role. Some of the bands that we talk to have like a dude, like yeah. the guy, Brandon, Trey, Nick, uh, like a guy who's literally in the studio, goes to rehearsals mm -hmm. and just has a camera, a video camera rolling the whole time and a handheld snap and shots the other time at the end of rehearsal or studio day, they yeah. collectively go through and put it in a, these can go on social media and stories thing. And then that dude, he's not, he, I mean, he's, he's equally as important to the band now. I guess it's, that's such a, yeah, a, of course. a, a necessary muscle these days, but yeah. uh, that's what he does. Yeah. You know? We have, we have a friend like that who, who does a lot of that stuff for us. And I think, it got to a point in our, towards the end of our first year, we were like, oh, we want everything to look perfect and cool or whatever. So it got really, really stale. And you could tell like through our social media and through our presence, it just felt that way. And now we've gone the complete other way where everything I think feels really natural. Like we're a really, really tight group of friends and the band is always with each other and we're socially always together. So now we're kind of just throwing everything that we do up there and it, it hits a lot harder. And I think it's just more authentic too, which Are is great. Are you guys doing any live stream stuff? We did an Instagram live stream during COVID. Um, okay. Just one. And then, because honestly, honestly, for us, what happened was we were, we did it and we started to just become, we started to feel that it was the, the market or whatever you want to call it was like watered down by it almost. I mean, I know it was great for a while, but after nine months, there was just so many live streams, one after another, that we were like, well, mm -hmm. we can either play our current songs and try to get everyone, you know, into these live streams right now, or we can focus on writing and we can focus on coming out of this with an unbelievable product and an unbelievable album. So we really put all of our effort towards that as opposed to um, doing a live stream. Because um, also we know like our sound is way different in a room just like anybody is way different in a room than it is going to be in a live stream and so our, our focus is really like let's create the best art that we can as opposed to trying to get it through an iphone right now and an acoustic guitar let's release right. that art and well, get people in a venue yeah i mean that, but that's not the only way to, to live stream like you can use there's you can have a full band set up and sound yeah so there's Twitch yeah absolutely and so we have, so we have, when we recorded, we did two live sessions that are, are going to be put out. It's not a, like, not like a live stream, like you're saying, but they're live sessions that we're excited to like put out. Um, but that was like the only quality that we were happy enough with to try and get out there. Cause what we didn't mm -hmm. like was like living room style, low, you know, like you sound know, quality. I, I just want to like maybe challenge your thinking on that. Yeah. Let's, let's like, hear it. Is that, 
when you have an audience, they want to see those in between. They want the rough around the edges stuff because yep. all that everybody gets is polished. Mm-hmm. And like, imagine your favorite band and you could just kind of be a fly on the wall to their rehearsal. Like uh, most yeah. people would be like, fuck yeah. And they don't even care if it sounds great. Right. Totally. So you got to think about it like that. You're somebody's favorite band and you're going to give them that window and that opportunity to see a little bit different of a side of you guys. Maybe some like in between song conversation. Hey, dude, can you turn that down a little bit? Like like that kind of stuff is what fans like. Yeah. And for us, what we decided was let's show those moments, which we absolutely do. But we just don't full we don't live stream full performances. So mm-hmm. we'll live stream like snippets of our practice or upload videos of us recording demos or anything like that. So you'll get snippets and live streams of our life and us writing the song, doing all that. Exactly like you're saying, because you're hundred percent right. But what we didn't want to do was sit down in our living room and be like, here's maybe live for the third time in six mm-hmm. months during COVID <laughs> through our iPhone. No, oh, you're right. You're right though. We talked to some band. I can't remember who it was, but the guy who was like, I sell 50 tickets every other week for my hardcore dedicated fans and they're only five bucks. So like every two weeks, the dude's making 250 bucks, but he'd only occasionally play songs. Like he would be John the Martyr. That was who the guy was. Yeah. And he'd be in there just on his guitar, working out parts, yeah. eating a slice of pizza. And then people would chime in on what kind of pizza, what kind of mic is that? How you doing? Yeah. And he's like, the thing that was so epic about this is I didn't have to play music, but my, the hardcore fans were like, what kind of mic is that? How far do you keep it from that amp? Like people wanted either recording advice or where'd you get that pizza? I live in the same town, you know, things like that, that like to Nick's uh, credit with that question is, yeah, man, if I could have chimed in and watched David Bowie just messing around and like actually been able to have my question answered from him. Yeah, getting to watch killer, you know. Yeah, getting to watch Ben Gibbard do it. Um, he was like crushing it from his desk like every single day during COVID. Um, and watching really every, every Death Cab fan from around the world just constantly do what you were saying just on a massive scale was was incredible to watch. Yeah, but you're, like yeah. like you're saying, a lot. Some of it's the conversation, some of it's the songs, and I yeah. think that like you know the the thing that I think we through all the conversations we have and the, just the insights we get in through musicians and through the industry is that there's like a new generation of musicians that are taking over mm-hmm. and the old generation's gone, right? Like the new ones are, they got a new muscle where they can do these live things. They can be entertaining. Cause at the end of the day, dude, you're an entertainer, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what you are. That's what musicians are. You're supposed to be entertaining. You're supposed to make music. And then when you play live, you're supposed to be entertaining. And then just like the new way to do it are all these new channels that are popping up. Because all of the way I, uh, you know, if you go to like Gary Vee and all those types of people who are, who are always on the edge, uh, the bleeding edge of technologies and, and, and platforms and things, they're always the ones kind of looking at the future and the ones that are able to grab onto platforms or ways to do things and be first and early tend to win, you know? Totally. And, and then you can take your audience as you're gathering it around to the different platforms as they come around. But you're just kind of like you're just like got to be like a blob that's like grabbing people and using what's today and what's now 
so that tomorrow you have more people to come along with you. Because Ben Gibber, to your point, they did everything that was done in that day. Right. Right. And then he's now got a fan base and he can continue it on into the new into the new world. And like, you know, the the Postal Service concept was very much like how music gets done today. But that was yeah, like a story. It was, it was a revolution then. at the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, and I think I think for us, too, I think it's important to like for us to think about what's what Steve and, 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 and Tommy and I always say is what's what's going to move the needle for us like what's what's really going to like push things forward and i understand nothing happens overnight right you don't you don't release anything and just you know become the biggest thing in the world the next day especially for bands so i think for us you know we met with a girl from we met with a girl from youtube music i remember three years ago we were like hey we want to we want to release a music video like like, w- like how should we put ads into this how should we like make the coolest music video ever and her response was don't do it She's like, you don't have any fans. Like, why would you make a music video? You, you don't have any fans. And no one watches music videos unless they're a fan of yours. And yeah. so we're like, okay, um, that's, that's interesting advice. It's uh, disheartening for someone to tell you your face. You don't have any fans. But at the time, it was true. And so, you know, we went, we created a record and, you know, have created a small fan base through that. And now it's the appropriate time cool. to to do a music video or do, you know, a smaller live stream and do that. But I think making sure that we have the right, like art and the right product and the right songs to back it up and like get that audience first before we do those things is important too. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think I, like anything though, you guys, everything's testing, right? Mm-hmm. You never know what's going to move the needle until you try it. Right. That's yeah. That's a good point is that you have to just shoot your shot on literally everything. Cause you don't know what's going to hit and you don't know who's watching. Yeah, that you know, if you take anything from pages of like what startups have been able to do well for themselves, is they're very meticulous. I mean, they usually have a little bit more funding than a band does, right? But like, <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of success cases where it's just like a dude in his bedroom, just like hacking, growth hacking, right? And and like that kind of mentality is like growth hacking is all about where's the least, the path of least resistance where nobody else is, you know. Or where you can shine somehow because maybe just one of you, you know, like you go to the sure. haired, like mail club website that you didn't know had like 10,000 people that happened <laughs> to like indie rock. Who knows? Right. Yep. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that that's where I think a lot of bands get stuck is they, they have like what their heroes did and their heroes did what they're like, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. All the way back to you too, like their 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 manager Paul McGinnis would get them into like stuff that was very forward thinking for the time. Yep. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm I'm going to see uh I'm going to see LCD Sound System tonight at Brooklyn Steel and like James Murphy, he's the pioneer of that, right? Like every, yeah. when he released Losing My Edge, it was it was mind blowing and it was completely different. And you know, I I think yeah, exactly <clears throat> what you're saying. You know, people are you have to be able to break new barriers. You can't just be trying to be a 90s rock band still or whatever it is yeah i mean it's just yeah. just because of of the media like the medium is changing and the mm-hmm. media right like songs if you look at what tiktok's doing to music especially the music that works on tiktok it's changing it's changing the structure of yeah. no bridges yeah they don't need a bridge yeah you need it's that just like, you don't you don't need a full song god what is it? like 
people are literally releasing snippets of songs first. If it does well, then they'll write the rest of it. It's crazy. But it's like, can you blame them? Like the thing no, it works. It's harder to do it as a band because you got to get somebody in there. You got to, you got to, you got to mic the drums. You got to go through all that. If you're doing this stuff where you're doing a lot of stems and it's, it's, you're basically inside a logic building or inside of a DAW, you're making your song and it doesn't cost anything extra to make 30 seconds versus three and a half. In fact, 30 seconds is a lot faster mm. for you guys, live bands, people that are like, you know, need four people in a room to record then it doesn't make any sense to set up and, and record 30 second snippets of a bunch of things and then yeah. have to go back in and record the whole track. So you're kind of stuck in the medium and the style that you are to like put music out in the way you are. But, but it's the point is, is that, that the medium keeps changing. You know, we write songs or you guys play songs that are three and a half minutes. I guess one was seven, but yeah. typically that's because of radio right that's because yeah, that was the medium that was just what they they did you're not going to get any radio play if it's not this long it's got to be under this and over and that's that. what that that's like so that's i mean it's interesting i think talking about the length of a song is, is super interesting because right now there's so much pandering so much pandering to tiktok and to the spotify algorithm and we we do it too like we we just finished an album where we literally had arguments where like oh, this intro is too long like if the vocals don't start here it's gonna get skipped in the first 30 seconds and that's what a spotify stream is or that's you know that's how to that's wow. how discover weekly is going to do that and i'm just like you know we we're going back and forth like in this conversation and our producer or one of our producers sam skinner at the time was just like guys you just gotta do like what sounds best and you, you have to do what's right for the art and I know artists, I know artists in New York that have, they have 700,000 monthly listeners and they have, they have songs that are at, you know, millions and millions of plays on, on top songs, but they're not necessarily bringing a lot of people out to live shows. And then on the other side, I know bands like the districts who have three big songs and they're all seven minutes long, but the people that listen to those songs, there's no way that they ever end up in your city and that those people aren't going to see them live. And that's where the money's at. And that's how you make a living. So it's definitely a, like, there's no right or wrong answer, but it, it's, a, it's a balancing act between those two things because you want to hit, you want to get in the algorithms, you want to be big on TikTok, all those things. But at the end of the day, it's like true art and really, really honest songwriting is like what shines through. And oh, that's what it makes dedicated time, fans. Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't I don't think I'd agree that it wins every time. I think it's a good choice. I think you guys, it, you guys can. If it's good enough, if it's good enough, it has to be good enough for sure. And it's still, even then, you're right. It takes a lot of <laughs> marketing. Still wins this. No, <laughs> no. It doesn't I mean, have to be good. It can win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, it, look, it, but yeah. I, I agree with you. Like, it takes I'm marketing. not saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't protect your art. Like, I totally agree with you and I support that. But I'm just saying that. It's 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 a business decision which you guys keep making, right? You're making yeah. business decisions whether you want to do X or Y or Z, and you you need to live with the results. So if you're making seven minute tracks and that's the audience that you want, then it actually makes your job a little easier. It seems like because then you can go after those artists' fans, like right? And know, I think specifically, 
I mean, look, like for me, I'm the most, I'm the most business oriented guy in the band. And so I'm constantly like playing the devil advocate of like what you're saying right now. Right. Like things need to be sure they need to fit this. And we are talking to our, to our distributor and our friend who works at United Masters. And, you know, even he said like, at the end of the day, fairly often that the best business decision is the decision that's right for the music. And that's going to end up going I agree happen. with you. I agree with you. I think that's the right decision because you can sleep at night and you're going to want to go back and listen to that song when you're, when, when the whole thing's done, you yeah. know, it, it's a crappy decision. If you're like, dude, I always knew that was a terrible decision. Right. Right. Mm. And like, haunt like nobody wants to do that. And I, I'm not saying anybody should, you know, yeah. I'm just saying that it's like, you know, there's ways there people there's ways to 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 work the system to your advantage. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but you know, like there was a there's another podcast we did. Moody Jones is his name. Um, that guy had some great ideas. So go back and listen to that one. But he was Ooh, talking yeah. about he was talking about like he never like for his ad buy mm-hmm. that he does. He never does bigger bands. He always does bands or artists that were smaller than the one that he was trying to market because those people are early adopters. Right. And the people that are like, you know, you don't go, if you think you sound like LCD sound system, you don't market to LCD sound system. You market to a couple other people. Below it. Yeah. That's, they yeah, sound that's like smart. LCD that's really sound smart. System. Yeah. That's that. something that, that he brought up that made a lot is he said it works for him. So we're just about to ruin his plans, but <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for letting me know. That's great. I'm going to tell our marketing agency. That's what they got to do now. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it was an interesting, like, you know, that's, but that's gaming the system as well. Like Absolutely. that's, that's just an algorithm, you know, just that's smart targeting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nice you were change. saying that you don't necessarily disagree that the best music at putting the music first is the best idea. You're just saying that that's not what always wins. And yeah. I, I totally see Rarely, you, yeah. you don't think the little Nas X song was the best song of the last 18 years on Billboard. And then let me ask you a question. If you made a choice and you gamed one of your songs and you guys got to the success level that you wanted, then you could mm-hmm. start doing the art that you wanted. There's, would you so, be willing to, to pay that price? Yeah, I mean, I've been asked that a lot by my dad. Well, could, you pick, could, you pick <laughs> um, one, could you pick one song on the album that you can say, you know what, whatever. But so the rest we, of the song was for us. Yeah, so we did that. That's so the, the song that came out today, I'd ask, but I know you're all right. This song is, it's a catchy bass line. It's the catchiest hook. It's like the pop song of the album, right? And we recorded it and, and produced it with our our producer, Cal Merrill, but also our engineer and producer, co-producer, Sam Skinner. And Sam works, he's in the band Pine Grove and he, and he produces the band Pine Grove. And if you know their music, it's much more like, much more indie, grassroots sound, whatever it is. And, you know, they've, they've had a lot of success, but that's like, that's their sound. And he mixed it and it sounded great, but it was, it was really dry and it was true to the rest of the album. And honestly, I, I like that mix better. But we sent the other, we sent the mix to have a few other people try it out. And we sent it to this guy, Mike Seberg. And he worked on, he just worked on like Alicia Keys' new album. He just worked, he worked on Havana for Camila Cabello, like all these really, really poppy songs. We got the mix back and 
look, it, it shines through the speakers. Like it is a poppy pop mix. To be honest with you, like I'm not obsessed with the way that the vocals feel or the way that some of the drums feel compared to the other mix. It's not necessarily my style, but we're going with the poppy mix. Cause like you said, you know, sometimes there's certain songs you've got to make like a business decision on. And I also think a lot of people love that mix. People in our band love that mix just personally for me, but it's clear like going with this mix is, you know, a popular, popular wider appeal for one song. Um, and we'll, we'll see how it works. What does it mean to be poppy to you? I'd like say glossy, like there's a little polished. Yeah. I'd, I'd say like glossy, polished, very vocal forward, synth forward, um, modern instrumentation, as opposed to uh, keeping things looser, just as an example, like, you know, drums on a grid are probably going to sound poppier than they're going to sound versus live drums or having a vocal that is maybe a little bit affected um, or a little bit tuned versus not. Um, you know, I think are some distinctions between it. it. Is so, I, I love totally. pop. I don't have anything against pop. Pop's my number one genre. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a character though. Like, rarely do you hear a perfectly tuned piano in a Exile on Main Street or even right. a Diamond Dogs album. You know, it's the difference between character and you know. But there was pop music. I mean, the Beatles were pop music. You know, yeah. there was no. It was just a different type of pop music, a different generation of pop music. So I guess you're saying today's when you say pop music, it's a good question, Nick. Yeah, I'm wondering what is the what is the defining parameter of that? Is it really tight and uh, everything's perfect? Everything is perfect. Tuning, yeah, structure, timing. Yeah, I mean, I think you answered it pretty well, Nick. Like that's what you're like. You've taken what you're saying is we make a sound that we naturally play like and sound like live. Right. And that's and how we've, we've recorded it. And we've recorded it like that. And somebody took it and sort of like tightened everything gotcha. up, sort of polished it up. And that to you is the poppy version of, of the song versus like, mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of redoing the track with like completely different instrumentation would be another version of like, we just, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you took out all the live drums and you put in all drum <laughs> drum machines and you auto tune the shit out of the vocal and did all that stuff, then yeah, it's, there, there it's gonna go. make it a little poppier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we look forward to hearing it. Um, is that a song you want to uh, lead us yeah. out with? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's out awesome. today, so yeah. Sweet man. Well, we we can't wait to hear it and uh, see what's next for you guys. You have to keep in touch and. Yeah, come on, and uh, you know, after you get the whole album out, we'll come tell us how you how you did and what what worked for you. Absolutely, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Of course, man. For sure, course. pleasure was ours, Nick. And here we go. We're gonna play out with "I'd Ask," but I know you're all right. We'll see you next time, Nick. Thanks, guys. <laughs>